being an expert on general automotive knowledge, what would the correct ignition timing be on a 1955 Bel Air Chevrolet with a 327 cubic inch engine and a four barrel carburetor? It is a trick question. Watch this. Because Chevy didn't make a 327 in 55. The 327 didn't come out till 62. And it wasn't offered in the Bel Air with a four barrel carb till 64. However, in 1964, the correct ignition timing will be four degrees before top dead center. Get ready for another hour of drive radio brought to you by Colorado Select Auto Care Centers. Got a question for the experts? Then give them a call, 303-477-5600. Now it's time to pop the hood and get our hands dirty. Drive radio on KLZ 560, the source. All right, we are back. Drive Radio, KLZ 560, hour number two. Thanks for joining us. Larry Unger with me, and Ken Rackley should be on his way in. We'll have him join us whenever he gets here. Tech Automotive is where Ken Rackley is from. In the meantime, Jeff, in western Montana, you are next. Go ahead, sir. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I uh, I'm, was calling in, and I missed the first part of the last call with Buck. What kind of vehicle did he have? Suburban, one of the, one of the older yeah. Suburbans. Calling in about the Corvair, yeah, and that uh, a couple of things. I, first of all, Ralph Nader, I think, put the final coffin in it. But reading about it, it seems like GM wasn't really all that enthusiastic about it to begin with. As a corporation, it was kind of the answer to the Beetle, and uh, then when other things, production things came up, uh, they uh, lost some enthusiasm, and then. When the air emission standards came in, since it was an air-cooled engine, it was going to be a lot harder to make that engine meet emission standards than it was the standard water-cooled engine. And so uh, I think Ralph Nader, Nader kind of put the final call. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. I think you know several things. We talked about some of these with you know our last caller. You know, the, the heating system was, was not great. Uh, I don't know that even the dealers themselves, especially the technicians, really ever bought fully into that car in the first place it was so different from what they were used to working on now some of the technicians really embraced it and became sort of the corvair experts but let's face it you know jeff that was kind of few and far between i I do think there were some folks the only thing i might disagree with you on is i think there were some folks at gm that were excited about the car initially because they knew they needed to do something to respond to some of the imports and things that were coming on and they looked at the corvair as being sort of the performance uh, side of you know what you know they were going to take some of what they learned on the the Corvette and so on and they wanted to put that into the Corvair and compete with the Beetle and some of the other imports. I just don't know that corporately you know corporate wide it was as accepted you know mainly because of the you know the other direction Chevy was he- headed with its other performance versions of you know everything from the 409. You know, the 348, the 409, to the small block Chevy, to, you know, on to what the big block became and so on. I just don't know that the Corvair fitted into that overall concept. So you're right. I think Ralph Nader was the final nail, but I don't think it was the only nail. Yeah, and a little interesting fact when I was reading up about it is that they made a concept car out of the Corvair, or, yeah, that called the um, the, uh, Monza GT. Yeah. And if you if you take a look at that, it's got a gold wing door, so it's kind of futuristic. But right. If you look at the general body shape, it is pretty much a C3 Corvette. Um, right. Almost completely. So, yeah, I think you're right in it. But they were trying to match up with the, um, the Mustang at the time. 
and all they could put get into it was a 2.4 liter. So I think that would have kind of doomed it too, in terms of performance, you know, compared to a V8. Um, yeah, the car just you know, and the other problem that that really plagued the Corvair, as you know, is the the handling of the car with the engine and all the weight being in the back and really not having enough up front to really do what they needed to do performance wise. I mean, even though the car was was fairly peppy and a decent performer, the car just never you know s- you know suspension and steering wise ever really did. And I know there's going to be folks calling and argue because there was aftermarket stuff that came out and so on and so forth. But bottom line, the car never had enough weight in the front to really do and handle the way that you know some of the other performance cars. I mean, you, you went and looked at a you know '67 Camaro for example. There was no comparison to the '67 Camaro versus what was going on in the Corvair. Right. And it was a unibody, too, wasn't it? It was, yes. Correct. So I think rust also played an issue in that, and that, that kind of did for the uh, the, um, the Datsun uh, 240Z. That, oh, they were rust. I think it was kind of the same thing. Is that you had a lot of emerging technology that just wasn't ready for prime time, and... Uh, and it kind of spelled doom for it. So Yeah, no, well, I agree with you on that. And I, and I think they just, you know, they just didn't... Um... To your point, I, I think there were some folks inside the company that really felt strongly about it, but not enough overall support. And, and then, of course, the performance, you know, end of things just never really, you know, never really caught on with the Corvair. And of course, you know, you know, Chevrolet was known for its performance cars as well at this time, and they tried to get the Corvair to be one of those, but it never caught on. Well, that's yeah. why you can the Monza in the turbo on the Monza, right? Yep. And I think it was kind of the SSR of the '60s. Yeah, that's probably a good way of saying it. Yep. But uh, not quite in the right So Some people loved it. Most didn't. I was not a lover of them. I'll be, I'll be the straight-up honest with you. I had the opportunity to own one of those as my first car. My dad and I, we went through, talked about it, and so on, and decided, no, I wanted a, I wanted a Camaro, not a, not a Corvair Monza, and we made the shift you know, real quick on that, and I went and bought a, Cor- I went and bought a Camaro instead. Well, the Corvair was a rear-wheel drive vehicle that you could go anywhere as far as traction-wise. Yes. Front end would float on you everywhere. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. All right, well, uh, hope you guys survive the, uh, the winter burst. We got another one coming. Good. Yep. All right. Jeff, appreciate it. Thanks for calling in. We enjoy it very much. Richard, you're next. Go ahead, Richard. Yeah, how you doing, John? Good, sir. I'm the guy who called you and Andy the uh, oracles of Delphi a couple months back. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> anyway, uh, the guy who uh, said he has an idea for self, uh, uh, self-contained self unit to keep the batteries charged. Now, they've got the technology out there. I don't know if it's a generator or it would be a AC alternator, which is probably a little bit more dangerous than a DC alternator. But why couldn't they have, and of course, DC uh, alternators weigh anywhere from 6 to 12 pounds. And I'm sure an AC alternator, maybe with a generator, may end up being 30 to 80 pounds for the combination. Why couldn't they put them in one of these electric cars to charge the batteries just like a DC alternator charges a DC battery? Um, They do. We have regenerative braking on EVs already. They're doing exactly what you're saying. 
Oh, okay. So they they're incorporating technology. Correct. Right. Yeah, it's already there and exists. That's where I, the other the other caller and what he's got. I I don't know what that is. I know there's no such thing as a perpetual motion machine. It's always been tried. It's never been achieved yet. So yeah, I don't know right. what he's looking at or what that technology is that he's thinking of. But we have very sophisticated regenerative braking right now that you know will regenerate and put power back into the the DC batteries that are already on the car itself right now. Um, right, how you improve that, that, Richard, that's above my pay grade. Yeah, not mine too, but we're not talking DC. We're talking AC, aren't we? No, all EVs run TVs? off DC. There is no AC on a on okay. an EV. The batteries are DC, so there's no need for an AC alternator on a DC car. Oh, okay, I, I wasn't... Uh... I was confused. Yeah, and in fact, that's where, no, and, and you brought up a great point. No, in fact, I should explain this. When people hear, you know, hey, we're going to put in a fast charger, you go to a fast charge to charge your EV. A fast charger is a DC charger that's charging the DC battery directly, and the reason you can make it go faster is because you're not having to go through that that conversion of AC from, like, 240 volt on a level 2 charger, converting that to DC to then charge the DC battery on the car. A direct charge or, you know, a fast charge is a straight-up DC charger. Why are they putting it in the brake system? Ooh, I'm not, or, in the, or in the wheels? It's it's actually not really in the wheels. It's in the, it's in the drive system is probably the best way for me to say that. So when you slow down, it puts resistance, and it's reversing the power that would normally be going to the wheels or to the motor that runs the wheels. It's going back into the battery. So they're using the same motor in reverse. That's the easiest way. I mean, that's not technically it, but that's the easiest way to explain it, Richard. Well, I know some of these uh, EV vehicles have 389-plus horsepower. You would think they could use some of that Or more. Some are up to 700 horsepower, depending upon the setup they have. Yeah, if it's a truck, I would imagine. Yeah, so, yeah, some of them are. Well, get this: General Motors just auctioned off a EV race car that they were running around for a few years that was literally 700 horsepower electric, and the thing was just lightning fast. They just auctioned that off and put all the money into charity. I, I don't know the exact total that they were figuring it would bring anywhere from 300 to 400 grand at auction. So they're working on it. They are. All right, good enough. Yep, good enough, Richard. No, appreciate it. Very great question, by the way. Yeah, so for all of you listening, when they talk fast charger on an EV, that is a direct DC charge to the DC batteries that are on the car that are running an EV. Because there, to my knowledge, you I, this is a way above my pay grade, but I don't know of any type of battery other than a direct current battery. I don't think you can do it any other way, to my knowledge. I don't know of anything. I I. This, but again, I haven't researched. Again, this is above my pay grade, yeah. so I, I I don't know. But Ray and Littleton, you're next. Hey there, guys. How we doing? Good, Ray. Hey, John. Sir, I'm the guy that called you the bomb. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. That's not the bomb. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway hey, listen, guys. Um, best car I ever had actually was for my wife, a 1987. Acura Legend with a 2.5. Yeah, those are good cars. You know, and a five-speed. So, you know, I'm at the dentist's office, and this is back in the, you know, around 91, 92, and 
my dentist friend is telling me he's selling his car. You know, he, every 100,000 miles he turns it in. And so, you know, basically, he say, I said, well, what would you need for it? And he goes, you know, three grand works for me. Hmm. And the car's got 100 grand on it. And so, you know, I basically bought it. Nice. And, uh, nice. What an amazing car. The, the five speeds, um, you know, they've got a little bit of power. It seems like when they hit 3,700, 3,800 RPM, then they kick in a little, like a, a butterfly kicks in. It was, it was kind of neat, but drove it for, I think I did two more timing belts and one clutch, which was not a big deal because at the time I worked in an automotive shop. I was a service rider. So, you know, got it done for nearly nothing. A couple window regulators and uh, a lock actuator and a power steering pump, for sure. And, I mean, got 307,000 miles out of this girl. Wow. And, you know, and you know what? She still sounded, ran like a sewing machine. Awesome. But, you know, the steering rack was leaking and uh, the clutch was starting to go out. So I, we just donated it, you know. Yeah, and, good for uh, you. Best car. Nice. Love it. Great. And uh, turned right around and uh, bought her an 04 MDX. And, uh, you know, another, uh, although I've had to do a power stream pump on that one, too. But you know what? Overall, great running cars. And, um, you know, just can't say enough good things if you just maintain them. Yep, it's a fact. They'll give you all you want. Sure will. That's a great point, Ray. You're, you're uh, very spot on. Anyway, thank you so much. Yeah, Ray, thank you. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for the phone call. Mike and Aurora, hang tight. You got a question on EVs. We'll take that here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Drive Radio, KLZ 560. Take advantage of Geno's alignment and tire rotation special for $99.99. Snow has stayed on the ground thanks to cold temperatures, creating potholes and other driving hazards. We all know tires have a way of finding those holes, wreaking havoc on your car's suspension. Also know that an alignment and tire rotation will help get even wear and longer life out of your tires. For over 40 years, Geno's Auto Service has been serving Littleton and customers along the front range. As members of Colorado Select Auto Care, we'll back up our work with Napa's nationwide peace of mind warranty. To make your life simpler, Geno's offers loaner vehicles so you can drop your car off and pick up when ready. Don't forget to check out all Geno's Google reviews for a good snapshot of the business. Give us a call or go online to schedule an appointment. We are AAA approved and located at Bowles and Platte Canyon. Take advantage of Geno's $99.99 alignment and tire rotation special. Some restrictions apply. See Geno's for details. Stop in or visit us online at genosautoservice.com. That's Geno's with a J. Your next oil change could change the life of your vehicle forever. If you think that's a tall order, maybe you've been getting the wrong oil change. A BG Performance Oil Change BG. comes with a lifetime of engine and fuel system coverage and something else, peace of mind. Where do you find it? Find a shop in your neighborhood at bgfindashop.com. That's bgfindashop.com. Because an oil change that offers a lifetime of peace of mind is a change worth making. BG. Do you know what to do in a traffic stop? Kevin Flesh would like to give you a few tips to help keep you and your passengers safe. If you are being pulled over for a traffic violation, slow down and put on your hazards, find a well-lit location that is out of the lane of traffic, 
Keep your hands on the wheel where the officer can see them and be polite. If you feel it's necessary, record the traffic stop, and then if you need any legal help, call Kevin Flesh at Flesh Law Firm. Kevin is our legal eagle and is an expert in traffic altercations and accidents. So put this number into your phone, 303-806-8886. You can also find Kevin online at fleshlawfirm.com. Kevin Flesh, Flesh Law Firm, and proud sponsor of Drive Radio. Napa a Napa guy knows that by the foot, there's no better ride than an old station wagon. Room for six people facing forward, two people facing backward, and a whole lot of luggage, lumber, and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof. If you can parallel park that beast, you can park anything. And with some quality parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep your land ship running longer, stronger. It's not obsolete. It's a rare treasure. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Have you been thinking about a new pair of glasses? Maybe some prescription sunglasses? Well, look no further than Stack Optical. Since 1968, yes, you heard me right. Since 1968, Stack Optical has been providing the most comprehensive quality ocular care for their patients. This family-owned business is proud to be one of the few optical offices that has their own on-site eyeglass production and eyeglass repair studio. Stack Optical, located at 2233 South Monaco Parkway, features the most extensive lines of eyeglass frames, sunglasses, and contact lenses to ensure that you love your appearance and experience superior comfort. Our comprehensive eye exams proactively diagnose eye conditions and diseases while providing the most accurate vision care. We welcome you to experience a lifetime of superior ocular care from doctors that are devoted to your eye health. Call now for your $69 eye exam, 303-321-1578. At Stack Optical, you'll see the difference. All right, we are back. Myself, Larry Unger, Charlie Grimes, and I did look up just to make sure that I was correct because, you know, things change. I want to make sure that I'm being accurate. And, yeah, you cannot store AC power. It, it switches either 50 or 60 hertz. That's switching back and forth that many times per second. There is no way to, there is no way to store AC power. So all power is DC that is stored. You convert it from uh, AC to DC, DC back to AC. So, yeah, all EVs run off of DC batteries mike and aurora you're next yeah i'm somewhat confused uh are the motors in evs are those ac or dc dc okay and um the only time you use a uh, inverter is when you're uh, charging charging it yeah the only the only the only thing on a on an ev that is is using AC current, if you would, is when you're using a like a, a you know a level one or a level two charger where you're taking either 120 volts or 240 volts and you're going through the you know the, the, the charging port on the EV. The car then I was just explaining this to Larry at, at the break there. The car then is converting the AC power to DC to charge the DC battery on the car. That's why all level one and level two chargers take longer than a regular DC fast charge. Mm-hmm. And about how long does it uh, take uh, on level one, level two, level three? Level one takes for a stinking ever. I don't even know the stats because it's just even my little bolt that that does not have a huge battery. It would take several days to plug into a hundred and ten or hundred and twenty volt you know plug and charge the car to full capacity. You'd, you'd be looking at a, I think at least a couple of days. 
if I use my level 240 amp uh, charger mic, it takes 50 miles an hour is my recharge rate. Mm, okay. okay. And, and do you have do you have level three? Uh, level three is a fast or? charger, and I just looked up the cost of one. So a in-home Bosch EV3000 30 kilowatt DC fast charger is $18,000. I don't know anybody that owns one. Wow. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think they will. I mean, I'm guessing maybe some really, really rich guy that loves his Tesla or whatever has got the ability to put an $18,000 charger on the wall for a fast charge. But even then, I mean, let's face it, if you're at home and you've got any kind of time at all, you're sleeping, whatever the case may be, you're going to be able to charge the car. So to have a in-home DC charger, I just don't know what the necessity of that would ever be. Then I was reading just this morning that... Uh, you shouldn't charge up more than 80% of the battery capacity. Uh, some of them will let you go up to like 90, but most of them don't do anything over 90. They leave you that cushion there. But, yeah, typically you're at that in-between 80, 90% range, yes. Yeah, the get the longer life out of the battery. Longer life out of the battery. You can use your regenerative braking when you don't go full capacity because otherwise when you pull right out of the garage, you can't even use your regenerative braking because there's nowhere to put the power, if you would, if that's the best way to explain it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, interesting. Makes sense? Very good. Yeah. All right, then. Thank okay. you very much. No, great qu- By the way, great questions. All of you on this, great questions. Uh, Mike, you as well. Appreciate that very much. Ron in Franktown, you're next. Yeah, how you doing? Good, Ron. Good. Say, a car um, it doesn't get enough credit, I think. Anyway, I I bought one just because uh, I thought it would be comfortable. But, uh, but it's a 2012 uh, Chevy Impala with that 3.6. Oh, yeah. Great car. And, man, I love it. Yeah, that, you know, that's that's a great that's a great example of what we're talking about. That car doesn't get a lot of glory. Not very many people talk about it, but the car works, performs, its size. I mean, everything about that car. I don't know why they don't sell more of them, other than they do a terrible job of advertising it. Yeah, that, that's true. And then uh, I think the three six um, that was the first year of the direct inject. Correct. And um, you know you have to take care of that. I mean, I I use EPR and. Um, <clears throat> You know, change oil about every four or five thousand. So nice. Yeah, and then I, the only other question: uh, I've heard that it wouldn't be a bad idea to. I'm out in Franktown, so say go down to Extreme, and uh, I, isn't there a top end flush or a, some sort of intake flush that they can do on direct injection? Not as much as there used to be. BG does have one that you can do. Yes, Extreme. Uh, has that ability to, to do that as well. Uh, it's not like we used to do on the non-direct injection engines. The most important thing on direct injection is to use the uh, BG EPR at every oil change, yep. MOA at every oil change, and 44K at every oil change. I do that. If you do that, you shouldn't really have to do much of anything else wrong. Good. Yeah, the only thing, I, um, I, spark plugs are coming up, you know, stuff like that. So, But <clears throat> I, I think I'll just... Uh, keep it you know yeah i agree it it runs like the old 327 or something no that works great no i yeah that's car you just keep driving no you're 100 percent correct yep that's it okay thanks appreciate it very much ron and a great great question great comment steve you're next go ahead good afternoon how are you good steve couple quick questions undisclosed shop fees i got a call back 
from a company, I guess I probably shouldn't mention him, but he rhymes with bullpen and playpen and one of the more popular trees in Colorado, operations up and down the front range. And it just kind of was irritating that there was like 30, 35% undisclosed fees on a simple oil change on the Mama Benz. Now, I know there's normally, you know, disposal fees, mm-hmm. da, 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 but to up it 30, 35%, I just told them you're going to lose a lot of business. And what are they? Wh- where's that? Wh- what are they calling the extra charges? They're, uh, they don't disclose it. Is my point. There's a little asterisk that there will be a fee for disposal shop materials. We're pretty well used to that. But to come in at thirty, thirty-five percent more—that's high than the job. I thought was kind of excessive. That is. Are you are you getting I an thought, estimate before you get your work done? Yes, and, and they can't by law, that has to be included in the estimate, Steve. Yeah. Well, they don't disclose it. That, and by law, anyway, it has to. In the state of Colorado, by the Motor Vehicle Repair Act, that has to be disclosed. If not, you need to call the state and tell them, because that's supposed to be disclosed. Well, the that, GM was nice enough to call back. He was pretty quiet throughout the discussion. But I said, you know, I've got a half dozen vehicles to maintain. Well, the G, the, really quick, just and you should call back and let them know that what they're doing is illegal, because that's not allowed. In, in fact, in the state of Colorado, you have got to give an estimate either within $100 or 10% of the entire estimate, and that includes everything, including sales tax. Yeah, not 30 35% more no. when you show up to pick up that, the car. That is not acceptable. You, that, that is against the Actually, you could hold them to whatever the original estimate was without those additional charges. You, would, you could allow them the 10% or the $100, but if they go beyond that, they've committed a crime. Right. Okay. Next question. Have you uh, test-driven and evaluated the E-Mock crossover Mustang, which bears as much resemblance to the old Mustang as a ripe avocado? I'm just curious if you have evaluated that, because I have a pilot buddy friend, used to fly Air Force One, in fact, and he bought one, and he is regretting it. His issues are about the same as what I came up with Googling it, which is display issues, charging issues, and then what they like to call euphemistically immobility issues, as in stops for no reason in the middle of nowhere. So anyway, doing a little research on this thing, these complaints are common. Consumer Reports has withdrawn their endorsement of the EMOC, and I just wonder what your thoughts were. It seems to me, in talking with them, that these things were kind of under-engineered and rushed to market. Agree. I, I cannot argue with you on that one. The EMOC has had has been plagued, by the way, with tons of issues. Um, I yep. mean, just go look it up and read about it, and it's one of those, I think, a huge misstep on Ford's part. Number one, they rushed a car to market. Number two, they called the bloody thing the wrong name in the first place. It was a huge marketing uh, snafu, if you ask me, on their part. They never should have called that thing a Mustang. They should have called it something completely different. But Ford has a hard time naming things, by the way, if you've noticed. Every truck starts with an F. Every car starts with an E. I mean, or every SUV. I mean, whoever names cars at Ford's is an utter moron, in my opinion. They have no idea what they're doing along those lines. They they call this thing the E-Mock. I mean, Dumbest thing ever, and yes, it's been plagued, and no, it's not a car I would own. Not by a long shot. Sorry, Ford, I wouldn't own that car. I, I feel badly for him. He's in this thing for 71K. Took it to Arizona, had all the problematic issues we just discussed, and then I come to find out Consumer Reports has withdrawn their endorsement of it, Yep. which is, that's not a good thing ever either. 
The, the car has yeah, just – that's a car that – and as you can tell, they, they've really slowed down production of that car. Sales have really fallen off for Ford on that. Ford's got to go back to the drawing board and figure out what they need to do to make that thing work properly because, in my opinion, they are behind. They've had some similar issues, by the way, with their Lightning. Their, their, their Lightning production right now, as we speak, has stopped. Uh, I don't know exactly why, uh, but they've had issues on that end of it as well. So as far as I'm concerned on Ford's end, they've got some homework still to do on their EV lineup. Also on that, there was actually a production stop last year on the EMOC because of those issues. They stopped production, but they didn't solve the issues. No, nope. I'm going, huh? Nope. And I just appreciate your thoughts on that nope. because you're welcome. I think it's a lemon, and I told him I said, "Good luck getting your money back because once that thing is sold." They are, as you know, very reluctant to take it back. Yeah, the only, the only way they would t- take that back under the Lemon Law is he has to have four consecutive exact same issues that cannot get resolved. He's got to document it so they're all exactly the same. He cannot allow the service advisor to change wording. It literally has to be a copy and paste of the same problem over and over again. If he does that, though, within the first 12 months, he can, he can apply the Lemon Law. That's good to know. I'll pass it on. And, you know, on the subject of Corvairs, Interesting to me, you know, that's a horizontally opposed air-cooled engine. Right. Which is exactly what they put in light aircraft of either four or six-cylinder variety, except that it's 25 to 45 grand on the engines. Right. But, uh, and you, you know, the tolerances are much more loose than on a uh, water-cooled engine, glycol-cooled engine. Right. But, uh, yeah, the Corvair, I think, kind of got short shrift, and you're right. There's a big following. A lot of people love them. Yep. Maybe I good luck with them. Yep, exactly. Exactly right, Steve. No, really. Appreciate it very much, by the way. Richard, uh, in the Springs, hang tight. John and Inglewood as well. We'll come right back. Don't go anywhere. And I've also got some other things I want to talk about. Somebody texted me on uh, EVs and driving them and how they work and so on, and I'll do that in a moment as well. We'll be right back. Drive Radio, KLZ 560. Hello, Drive Radio listeners. This is Chris Hammond with Ken's and Leslie Distributing, your local BG Products Distributor. Back again this week with your BG Tech Tip. This week, we're going to talk about one of the most expensive components in your whole car, the transmission. Specifically, the transmission fluid. You see, according to the Automatic Transmission Rebuilders Association, or ATRA, the number one cause for transmission failure is fluid failure. And the number one cause for fluid failure is heat. You see, most transmission fluids can last as long as 100,000 miles as long as the fluid stays at or below 180 degrees. According to ATRA, for every 20 degree increase in the operating temperature of that fluid, the life of the fluid is halved. That means conditions like stop-and-go traffic or mountain driving or the terrible Colorado weekend combination of both can quickly lead to a severe degradation of transmission fluid, thusly significantly reducing the protection needed to keep that expensive component trouble-free and fun to drive. So, what should you do? At BG, we recommend replacing any fluid prior to the point of failure. In our experience, replacing the transmission fluid every 30,000 miles and treating the new fluid with an antioxidant conditioner will protect your car for life. Thanks again, Drive Radio listeners. This is Chris Hammond with BG Products. We'll talk to you again next week. 
Do you know that your windshield is getting more expensive to replace? Most vehicles have options that help keep the vehicles from avoiding accidents or even keep it in the traffic lane. These windshields require more than just a replacement of the glass. They also require a calibration of the computer system to make sure everything is operational to the specifications the manufacturer set when the vehicle was built. You can't trust the traveling glass replacement shop to do these necessary calibrations as they require special equipment and, in most cases, an indoor shop to perform the calibration. We have two Novus locations that can replace your windshield and also do these calibrations. Novus Fort Collins and Novus Sterling. Both are fully equipped with the latest technology to service your vehicle properly. Find either location by going to any of our websites, ready-radio.com, drive-radio.com, or fixitradio.com. Just click on the Novus link. That's Novus Autoglass. You are responsible for making sure that you are properly insured. But you're not alone. While Paul Lewinberger believes in personal accountability, he wants to make sure he's setting you up for success as your home and auto insurance agent. Paul will teach you about how you can save money on your premium while being fully covered in case of a loss. Your insurance should be for emergencies, not petty cosmetic issues. Insurance is not a coupon, your bank account, or for maintenance. Paul Lewinberger will tell you that your insurance is for emergencies. And when you work with Paul, You'll be rewarded for your diligence. Ask him about their incentivizing rebate program. Take a higher deductible and take responsibility. It's just one of the ways they can afford to keep their rates low. Take control of your life. Take responsibility for your insurance coverage. Call Paul Lewinberger with American National Insurance now at 303-662-0789. That's 303-662-0789. All right, we are back. Drive Radio, KLZ 560. Appreciate you joining us. Myself, Larry Unger, Charlie Grimes, Ken Rackley, who uh, is trying to make his way in, but if he does not, we are good either way. And Ken is out in Aurora, Tech Automotive. So if uh, you need anything from Ken, go by, say hi. I really appreciate all that Ken does for us on a routine basis as well. Again, Tech Automotive out in Aurora. Find him at drive Radio. Dot com And let's see, who's next? John in Inglewood is the next caller. John, go ahead. Hey, good good show, guys. I'll tell you one of the best cars I ever owned. It's kind of a little bit of a story. Uh, 1984, I met my wife. And two weeks, or almost two or three weeks before I met my wife, she got a 1982 Honda Prelude. Mm, okay. Prior to that, she had a old 77 Ford LTD, which was a company car that her dad got her. And, you know, when she was young, didn't have a lot of money, so she had the company car. But she wanted a sports car. So three weeks before I met her, she bought this 82, 2-year-old Prelude. Okay. Four-speed. And when I met her, she said, you know, I like cars. And I, this is my first manual. But tell me something. I'm getting really bad gas mileage and high revolutions. And I said, well, well, show me how you drive it. She drove it for almost three weeks, never got it out of second gear. (laughs) (laughs) She didn't know how to drive a standard shift. That's hilarious. Finally, when I told her how to do it, oh, that's so much better. But she always drove it around, got it out of second gear. She said she got it in fourth gear. That's good. And then the other thing about it, I, I had we got married and had that car for years. And the only thing I ever had to replace, obviously, is the battery and 
uh, tires, but it had a hydraulic clutch. And it was a little like a solenoid hydraulic clutch that was leaking and stuff, so I replaced that. But it was a really good car. And then one other quick thing about it. You know why? One reason why I married her? Because she was living in an apartment. She didn't make a lot of money, but she budgeted washing her car every week. So I think, well, this girl, this is a car girl. She values her car. She mm-hmm. set out mm-hmm. in her weekly budget or monthly budget money set aside to wash her car. So I said, you're my type of gal. Yep. I, you know what? I, I would agree with you on that one. Yeah, but it was so funny she drove it. Without that is a great story. That's hilarious, actually. You know, and the funny part is if you try to get people today to drive a stick, they don't know how. No. Not even a clue. No. Yeah. Good show, guys. Hey, thank no, John. Thank you very much. (laughs) I I appreciate that. That's a great story. Richard at Colorado Springs, you're next. Go ahead. Line open, by the way, 303-477-5600. Richard, you're next. Hey, John, again. um, I got an unappreciated car. Okay. Uh, In 73, I was 16. I had worked since I was 13. I bought a 1966 Pontiac Tempest six-cylinder inline. Mm Mm-hmm. And it had 106,000 miles on it. And it had a cruise-o-matic transmission. Cruise-o-matic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it drove like a Cadillac. It had bench seats in the front, bench seats in the back. You could fit eight teenagers or six adults in that car. That's hilarious. Oh, it was wonderful, man. It, it, we used to go down to, when I, you know, I was 16, I used to go down to the city I was upstate New York, used to go down to the city for concerts. I put 30,000 miles on that uh, after two years, and I sold it to somebody for 600 bucks. I kept it maintained well, changed the oil, all that good stuff. When I got it, I changed all the fluids and stuff. You never heard a tap from the from the valves, never wow. heard one tap. And I sold this guy, it was around almost 130,000 miles, and a couple of years later, uh, I lived up in the Borscht Belt in Catskill Mountains, where all the hotels were. And I went through a Kutcher's Country Club driving uh, a parking lot one day, and I saw my car. And this was about uh, probably three years later. It had 169000 on it. And I'm sure it was the same guy I sold it to. And I bet you that car drove just as... And I told him, I said, make sure you change the oil, mm-hmm. look, check the tranny fluid, all that good stuff. And I bet you the guy took care of it. And I, I wish I would have kept that car because it was the smoothest <laughs> driving car. I yeah. mean, I've been, I was a car hop at Concord's Hotel up in upstate New York. I drove Maseratis, Jaguars, Porsche Carreras. They were all great cars, but this Pontiac, little Pontiac Tempest was still the smoothest car on the road. They were good cars. I mean, took yeah. the bumps. No, I agree with they you. They were excellent cars. Yeah, they really were. No, you're right. They were good cars. Hey, Richard, how many people did you have riding in the back window? Oh, I've had I've had eight people in the car. <laughs> That's hilarious. I was a teenager. Yeah, we'd go. We I said, "Come on, guys, we're going driving." And you know, upstate New York's nothing but back roads, and we'd go driving everywhere. I mean, we'd go up to, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, any anywhere we go up to Cornell for just just to go, mm-hmm. which is like two hundred some miles away, and we just travel. And the thing was so comfortable. Most of the time, my my passengers would just fall asleep in the car. You know, it was like, okay, we're here. Everybody, wake up. 
But uh, it was the most comfortable car and the smoothest car I think I've. That's I've funny. Been in. That's great. Considering, and I bought it for six hundred bucks. It was Nothing wrong great. with that. Good for you. No, it was great. Good for you. Great story, Richard. Thank you. Really appreciate that. That's a great story. Appreciate that, Eric. You're next. Go ahead, sir. Hey guys. So a couple of comments on random things this morning. Um, you know, John, when you first got in the business, Snap-on and Craftsman, Craftsman was still considered, <clears throat> I mean, an equal in many ways to Snap-on as, as a premium tool, <clears throat> and their lifetime warranty was still one of the best. And what's funny is. In 95, my, well, in 78, my grandfather bought a full-size blazer to tow his boat in the Flawwood. This is back in Ohio. And in, uh, like, 92, he gave it to my dad and I. We brought it out here to Colorado, my, and we were plowing with it. And in 95, we had to pull the transfer case. It was, it was active. We needed to pull it. And my dad and I are laying under this thing, put a wrench on the drive shaft to un- unbolt the drive shaft, and bent. A half inch nine sixteenths wrench into a U. Wow! And the the bolts were so rusted. And that wrench, my my dad looked at it and he says, "That wrench is older than you are." And at that point, I would have been twenty five, twenty six. And he said, "That wrench is older than you." And we took it up to Sears and handed it to the guy up there at Sears, and he looked at it. And started laughing, walked over, grabbed a new one off the rack, and walked over and handed it to my dad and said, don't do it again. That's funny. <laughs> and I still have those tools. Wow, good um, for you. I mean, all, all, all of the tools that I own are primary, predominantly craftsmen, and a lot of them were my grandfather's. <laughs> so he bought a lot of that stuff back in the 40s and 50s. Or wow, back in the 50s, very cool. And it, they all got passed down. You're... Um, your Isuzu Trooper that you were talking about. Yeah. Those those Isuzus, Suzuki, the the Nissans and the Mitsubishi of the of the mid eighties into the early nineties are some of the most underrated, agree. underappreciated cars. Yeah. I agree. I have in, in eighty eight I had a boss who bought a uh Isuzu space cab ticket. Remember those? That oh, was yeah. The most butt-ugly looking thing yeah. on the road. And he bought it used. It was like a two years old when he bought it. I mean, I want to say it was like an 84 or an 85. But, and he had it about three months, and he got stuck going off-road one day. He says, that'll never happen again. He put a, was able to get a two-inch lift for it and put it on there. And about ten years later, I was coming out of a store, and I said, God, I... I my, my wife and I just got married, and I, I saw that thing, and I pointed it out, and I said, I remember those. This is so-and-so. This is an old boss of mine. Pete had one, and blah, 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 blah. And and I walked over, and I'm looking at it, and it actually happened to be my old boss. He was still driving. I think it had 200,000 and still had the lift on it. And, and he says, he says, you know, he says, this thing has never let me down. He says, it's on, like, a third battery and, and whatnot. He says, but it has just been a... A, a, you know, super awesome vehicle, hmm. and they, they, yeah, they were just so underrated. And that last caller talking about that Tempest, my that was my mom's first car back in the sixties. Wow, and hers was a manual. Very cool. Hers, hers was a manual transmission. And after my parents got married, my dad didn't like it and made her get rid of it. And 
uh, my mom used to, they joke about it to this day, that my mom used to call it her little sewing machine because that's what it sounded like. Yeah. It was an old Singer sewing machine. Yeah. And uh, we're, where my where we're from back in Ohio, my mom was coming home from work one day on a hill, and for whatever reason, she, even though she knew how to drive a stick, she kept pulling it when she went to take off, and nothing she could do would get it going. And there was a delivery truck behind her, and she actually rolled back up against the, the bumper of this delivery truck, and was able to get going finally. And when she got home and told my dad, he said, I thought you knew how to drive that. And she said, she just broke down. She's like, I don't know. I just, I couldn't figure it out today. She said, it was just weird. And, I mean, for years, my mother used to talk about how much she missed that car. And and eventually my dad had to admit that was one of the best cars that they had ever owned. Cool. It, it just, it, Very cool. Know, and, and, well, you know, when you were at uh, Barrett-Jackson, there was one that sold. There was. Right? There was actually two of them. Sold. Yes, there was. And, and it's funny. Yeah, that's, yeah. they're just a, a just a neat car. They really are. They, they no, you're right. You're... I really wish I would have known about that car back in the day. Yeah. And, and one that I I brought up one time on the show before that I still miss, a, a car that I missed. I had an old 76 Buick Skylark uh, four-door sedan. Yeah. Grandma's car to the nth degree. Yep. And... You know what? It's it's been almost thirty years since I got rid of that. Over thirty years since I got rid of the car, and there's times where I still miss that car because it was just, yeah, it was grandma's car, but it had the the two thirty one V six in it. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was just it was just a great car, and I, I probably put twenty thousand miles on it in the almost in about in about the two years, two and a half years I bought it. I, was, I delivered pizza with it. Wow. And Very cool. I, you know, it, but yeah, it was, yeah I, there, and I still see some of those running. And there's so many anymore. I see so many old cars, relative speaking, yeah. you know, from the 70s yeah. and 80s anymore. And it goes to what you and Larry said at the beginning, how much used car prices are up. Yep. And at the same time as used car prices up anymore, the repo business is booming now, too. It is. Yep, it is. Sure is. Eric, you got got to run, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. No, I appreciate it very much. Bob and Centennial, Gary, you guys hang tight. We'll be right back. One line open, 303-477-5600. This is Drive Radio. No one likes to be that person. You know the one stuck on the side of the road, busted tire, making everyone slow down to get around them. With Legacy Automotive's new tire sales, you don't have to be that person ever. Here in our Colorado climate, you might be closer to needing new tires than you think. A bad set of tires can be dangerous and even life-threatening. Tires should be regularly examined for cracks, bulges and blisters, and other signs of wear and tear on your vehicle. The skilled team at Legacy Automotive in Boulder will be able to examine your current set of tires, let you know what they recommend based on what they find, and help you get on the road. Legacy Automotive is a Napa Gold Certified Auto Care Shop and employs ASC Certified Technicians. So don't be that guy. And make an appointment at Legacy Automotive today at 303-396-0555. Or visit them online at LegacyAutomotive.com. Legacy Automotive, locally grown auto repair. Most oil changes are the same. 
Old oil out, new filter, new oil in. It's a routine, a chore on the to-do list. What if your oil change wasn't the same as the rest? What if it was life-changing? BG. A BG oil change can change your life because it comes with free lifetime protection for your engine and fuel system, which means a lifetime of peace of mind for you. Find a shop near you at bgfindashop.com. That's bgfindashop.com. BG. Hunting down that hard-to-find part for an out-of-the-ordinary car can be quite a time-consuming chore. Unless, of course, you just go around the corner to your local Napa Auto Parts store, where we have over 310,000 parts, all of them made to fit and perform just like the original. Yeah, there are people who say it's the journey and not the destination, but those people have never tried to find an alternator for an 82 Fiat on a Saturday. Go to NapaOnline.com for the location nearest you. Napa, get the good stuff. Have you ever thought about owning a classic car, hot rod, older truck, or an out-of-the-norm vehicle? Worldwide Vintage Autos is the place to go for all your vintage car and truck needs. With over 80,000 square feet of indoor showroom and warehouse space, they make the shopping experience easy. Every vehicle they sell is checked out by their own staff and is verified as a roadworthy vehicle, and this includes consignment vehicles. When you buy a vehicle from Worldwide, it's a vehicle you can safely drive home. They sell over 1,200 vehicles a year, and most of their inventory comes from people like you and me. If you want to eliminate the hassle of selling your vintage or unique vehicle, give them a call today. By the way, sign up today for the VIP list. They'll give you updates on all their new inventory that the general public doesn't see yet, and it's at a discounted price. Worldwide Vintage Autos. Don't let the name fool you. They sell worldwide, but their showroom is right here in Denver. Find them today at WorldwideVintageAutos.com or call 877-378-4679 and make sure you tell them John Rush from Drive Radio sent you. All right, we are back. Larry Unger, myself, Charlie Grimes, of course, answering phones today because Larry's sitting in here with me. Gary in Denver is next. Go ahead, Gary. Oh, hi, John. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, um, the thing, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to this. The most irritating thing is this freaking check engine light. <laughs> uh, I. Uh, it came on about... Oh, I want to say about four months ago, and they pulled the code. It was that one, that the standard one. I think it's three, four, five, or four, five, six. Evaporative. Uh, oh, evaporative emissions code. Yes. Yeah. So I went and brought it to a very reputable dealership. It, you know, they're not. They don't lie to you, and uh, they checked it all out. Nothing's wrong. They cleared the code, and then about. A month later, there was a, a cold day, boom, check engine light, brought it back, pulled the code, same code, they cleared the code, they, then they had me come back, they checked it out, nothing's wrong. About a week ago, we had the cold snap, boom, check engine light. So I brought it back, same place, and they, they pulled the code, same code, they said, okay, we're going to leave the light on, we're not going to clear it. Bring it back next week, which will be this coming Tuesday, and maybe, you know, since we haven't cleared the code, we'll see something different. Okay. But my, my question is, is this, could it possibly just be a thing that will continue to happen and there's really nothing wrong? It just happens? 
What kind of vehicle is y- it? Yeah, vehicle. Make you know, year and year and make. It's a 2015 Kia Forte Coupe. Shouldn't be coming on when it's cold. It shouldn't matter one way or the other. There's a problem somewhere in the car that when it's getting colder, I guess, it could be there's a slight crack someplace that when things contract because it's cold, it's maybe letting that crack uh, be more pronounced. I mean, I'm, I'm grasping at straws, could honestly. Could be a gas I don't trap know. that might be leaking gas, when it gets cold. Yeah, could be that yeah. as well. Could be a hose that's not sealed up fully right. when it gets cold, something along those lines, Gary. Yeah, they, they kind of said something similar to what you're saying about, you know, a crack. And and they did the testing, um, you know, where they shut everything down. They, you know, they shut down the – and they, they kind of run, I guess, smoke through it and look for leaks. Yeah, smoke test it, yes. Yep. Yeah, they smoke tested it, and they determined it wasn't the gas cap. Um, but I'll just bring it back, and like you said, I, I, they may not be able to identify it unless it's cold and it's – that crack is exposed. Uh, might have to actually look at it when it's cold like that. That's tough because even when they pull it in the shop and they start doing some testing, yeah. things get warm back up. That's going to be tough. They're almost going to have to you know, smoke test that when it's cold outside to see where, in fact, that leak is at. Because it's got to leak someplace, Gary, or it wouldn't be coming on. Where are they putting the smoke in at? Is it through the gas cap port or is it through one of the lines? Uh, well, they said they they covered the gas cap and you know smoked it and you know first they first they didn't uh, you know cover up the gas cap and it looked good but then they covered it up. I think they're doing the right things, but I think what John just said may be the case that you know it, that crack needs it needs to be cold for that crack yeah. to be open enough to yep. where the smoke would flow through it. Yeah, either the gas cap to Larry's point or the crack or something along those lines. Yep. I, I, yeah, they're going to have to test that when it's cold, which is coming, which to your, fortunately, coming up <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, it's going to be, in fact, this week we got some really cold weather coming in middle of the week, so if you're dropping it off, now's their chance, Gary. All right, well, thanks for the advice. You're very welcome. You no, might, I appreciate it very you much. Might, you might even let them keep it overnight. I would, yeah. I'd let them have that a couple of days through this cold weather and just yep. see what happens. If they can give you a loaner or something even, whatever they need to do. All right, let's see if we can squeeze one more in here before we get to the top of the hour. Bob, if I can't get both your comments in, I'll hold you on over the top of the hour. Let's get at least one of them started. We'll start off that it's Rob. Oh, uh, Rob, how are you, man? Holding out, holding out. Good. Uh, Charlie's doing a good job picking answering phones. It's nice to hear Larry behind the microphone. He's it is, yeah. Fun. Normally we don't hear him, so it is fun. Quick question. How's Steve Horvath? He's doing great. Oh, good. I was worried last time he was having some trouble after that surgery, and I've been worried about him. No, he's doing time. okay. Yep, he's That's doing fine. Steve's a good guy, and Gino's is a good dealership. They are great. So one of the, the car that I usually lead off with is a neglected and underestimated is the Vanagon. I have an 84 Vanagon. Engine's in the rear. Batteries are under the seats. Radiators at one end of the vehicle, engines yeah. at the other end of the vehicle, long pipes running underneath it. Is that the one it's you've been restoring for the last three years? And that's for longer than that. <laughs> longer than that. I love that thing. And the thing was, everybody laughed at it. It was underpowered. It was leaky because of the water connections and everything else. But the thing still goes and goes and goes. I get 24 miles per gallon in a camper that can sleep for. It'll climb a hillside in its low gear and not quit on it, and it just keeps running and running and running. And if you need to work on the engine, yes, you have to take the rear bed out and you have to take the cover off, but it's everything's right there where you can lean over and get to work on it. Mm-hmm. And even an idiot, and I happen to be not just any idiot, can work on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, and as you also know, Rob, the prices of those are just climbing also. Well, they did a good job on this one at a, dealer, at a body shop that no longer is in business. But people looked at, were walking past and said, well, they must be still making the thing. Look at that one. <laughs> I was really tickled when I ever heard that. And the, the car that will not die and I love dearly was my father's last car that he ever bought, a 96 Saturn SWT, SW2. Doesn't steer them very well. Doesn't break. Didn't break terribly well until I got the good Napa adaptive brakes for it. That fixed that problem. Are you with me? I'm with you. We're Still listening. Running and running and running. And uh, the funny thing was that guy. I forget who used to own Saturn of Denver and Saturn of Highlands Ranch. That yeah, was that old Mustang pilot who had a series of dealerships on Wadsworth. Yeah, I don't remember but his every name. Every time they service that beast, they always put the BGMOA in it. Nice. And I thought, you know, it's still running and running and running. The only thing I've ever heard bad about that engine is it just dies on you suddenly. Mm-hmm. So I keep putting the MOA in, oil change after oil change after oil change, and that engine never gives me any trouble. I had there an alternator go. go bad and spray and uh, take out a few other things in the compartment once. But it's just a very good little vehicle. And the funny thing about that thing is it's also still got that performance switch. I was getting merging onto I-25, and this Porsche uh, 911 was right behind me. And he's trying to cut me off, and I got just a little mad. And I thumbed the performance switch and gunned that Saturn and just leaped forward. Nice. With a little double overhead cam, four-cylinder on it, and beat him up to the roadway. Nice. So they never got a lot of respect. You want to talk about consumer reports, I can't think of them without swearing at the way they just yep. ran down Saturn and ran yep. down Saturn. You were talking about Corvair. Saturn was a similar kind right. By God, Europe, by God, Japan, we're going to take you on. You're right. did not do badly. You're right. I had a, a cracked body panel on that when a doormat got over the brake on it, and I just unbolted it had to buy a used one, but I bolted it right back on again. Now, how's that for body work? There you go. Rob, I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, Charlie, see if Rob wants to continue on when we come back. We are at that point where we've got a hard break coming up here. One line open, 303-477-5600. Guys, don't go anywhere. Give us a call. You can also text us, 307-200-8222. This is Drive Radio. Still haven't had enough? Go to drive-radio.com. Email your questions and comments, download previous programs, and find lots of useful information, including your nearest Colorado Select Auto Care Center. That's drive-radio.com. Thanks for listening to Drive Radio, sponsored by the member shops of Colorado Select Auto Care Centers on KLZ 560.